Welcome to Survive and Thrive, where Oklahomans reflect on COVID-19 and racism. Survive and Thrive is a 24-episode podcast series where our team will interview Oklahomans across a diverse spectrum as how to survive and thrive during the twofold crisis of the health and racial pandemics. Oklahomans are no stranger to tragedy. The state's history is checkered with traumas such as the Dust Bowl, Tulsa Race Massacre, Trail of Tears, and the Oklahoma City bombing. Out of those tragedies was born the Oklahoma Standard. Now, as the state once again grapples with hardship, this time with COVID-19 and racial heartache, we will hear from multiple Oklahomans who must once again learn to survive and thrive. We are your hosts, Carolee Langford and Brooklyn Wayland. We are here with Krista Tippett, an award-winning journalist originally from Oklahoma and now an NPR host. Hello. Hi, Krista. This is Brooklyn Wayland and Carolee Langford. How are you? Hi, I'm good. I love it that you're doing this. It's wonderful. Thank you so much. We are very excited to be doing this project. Do you have a, are you interviewing Jean Rainbold? Yes. He was. Yeah. yeah. When I saw this, I thought, Jean is, he's the wisest Oklahoma I know. <laughs> yes, he is. He was he a hoot to, talk to, to talk, talk to. For sure. <laughs> Yeah. Very much enjoyed him, yeah. Yeah, and I saw you interviewed my best friend, Serene Jones. Aw, yes. She's wonderful. So much great insight. Okay, I'm settled now. Okay, perfect. Yeah, so first off, we just want to hear a little bit about your background, what your upbringing was like, and things like that. Okay, I... I grew up in Shawnee. I was born in 1960. I was born on the night of the presidential election where John F. Kennedy was elected president, which was a very big deal. Um, hard to realize what a big deal it was for a Catholic to get elected. And, you know, my my father was a Kennedy supporter, but, well, I say of course, but I grew up Southern Baptist, which was mostly everybody I knew was, was Baptist or Protestant, certainly. Mm, gotcha. And... My grandfather was a Southern Baptist preacher. And, you know, Shawnee at the time, now I I feel like our sense of distance has collapsed because Oklahoma City felt so far away. Right. So, you know, I think about that when I'm home and it's just not a big deal to drive between those places. But yeah, I think it, I don't know if it's much bigger than it was when I lived there, but it, it felt like a, a small town. And so that was a big part of our life as well. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about how you got from Shawnee, Oklahoma to where you are now. Well, I got very involved in debate in high school. Love that. And I was on the debate team. And the summer before my senior year in high school, I went to a really great debate camp, summer debate camp in Chicago at Northwestern. And, you know, I just met this whole world of kids who were very different from the world I'd grown up in. And the kind of best friend, she was from a suburb of Chicago, and she really wanted to go to Brown University in Providence, Rhode Island, which I had never heard of. And but we had this wonderful summer that I applied to Brown pretty spontaneously and kind of miraculously got in. And that just ended up, you know, completely catapulting me practically as far away on the map from Shawnee as I could have gotten going to either coast. Um, So, but you know, it was very much based on this friendship and yeah, it was a, it was a big, big leap out into the world beyond Oklahoma. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. So can you kind of explain to us what you do now? Yeah, I have 
Well, in the early 2000s, I started a, so so I ended up uh, continuing to go west. I, I ended up spending some time in east and west Germany in the 1980s and worked as a reporter and then eventually also went to divinity school but with our diplomatic presence in divided Germany. So had these kind of wow. high political experiences yeah, and had a great introduction to journalism, which has served me ever since to, you know, reporting. But then at some point I started, I, I was asking how people create their lives and how that is often quite distinct from actually from politics and high policy mm-hmm. and eventually realized that these were these were kind of theological questions. And so I went to divinity school in the early 90s, came back to the States. What I ended up doing in the early 2000s is kind of bringing those two parts of my life together. Um, I was watching what was happening in the world through the eyes of a journalist, but also as somebody who had studied theology. And I just felt in our public life and in media, we're talking about things that really matter and talking about this whole part of human experience where religion happens and spiritual life happens and where we talk about ethics and morality and values and meaning. And so I started this public radio show and and that sounds much easier than it was. It was actually (laughs) and it happened over quite a few years when I was always having to make money in other ways to support this this project, this, this thing I wanted to get going. But eventually a national public radio show in 2003 and that's what I've been building on ever since and we were inside uh, Minnesota Public Radio American Public Media for the first 10 years and then in 2013 um, it took my production company um, which is now called the On Being Project and so now I also lead this organization. Wow that's great thank you so much so switching topics just a little bit things are kind of crazy right now but How have you been holding up during this pandemic that we're going through? Well, I think on a personal level, I've, I've, uh, well, I, I, first of all, I'm, I know myself to be fortunate because I have been healthy and have not, and my, you know, have had a, have had financial and work stability. So I haven't taken that for granted for a single day. Having said that, like everybody I know, I mean, we're all kind of alike and different in this. We, you know, it's, it's been a hard, hard year with many different chapters and, you know, a lot of bad days. And, um, of course I live in Minnesota now, that's where my production company is based. And, uh, so I, you know, it felt to me like the pandemic and the lockdown. I mean, I still remember the Wednesday in March, never imagining that we, here we are all these months later and, you know, it's, I don't know when we'll all be back together um, right. in our workspace. And then when George Floyd was killed in my in our city of Minneapolis, living here, it hit very hard and, you know, felt like a whole new chapter. And um, I guess so personally, I think I've, as I say, I've taken all that in. I've, I've had bad days. I've had to figure out what are my sources of rest? Um, what do I... What do I really care about? What really matters? And focus on that. I've also felt grateful to that in the work we do, you know, a lot of the questions we've been asking about, you know, how human beings make meaning and how to think about things like moral imagination and social courage in this world we inhabit in this 21st century with all of its perils and all of its possibilities. So I feel 
great about the content we've been able to create to help people stay nourished and also courageous. And yeah, I just find this year 2020, it just, oh, it just keeps on throwing out it new. Does. <laughs> <laughs> but I've been really aware from the beginning because, again, of the kinds of, of conversations I'm engaged in. But in some ways, what this virus and this year have just brought into relief is a basic spiritual truth of human existence that the ground beneath our feet is never as solid as we believe it to be sure and and the question is how do we meet that reality who who are we who who how do we conduct ourselves who can we be as we navigate reality with all its surprises and its hard edges absolutely yeah how do you deal with the stress of what's going on in the world right now i First of all, you know, one of the things I've I've said to myself and I've said to many people, um, we have to do two things at once and we we really are called to be present, to stay present to the to the crises in our world, to the, to the suffering and the fear that's out there. And if we're going to do that, we have to look inward and outward at the same time and cultivate both of those things. And you know, in this country, we haven't really known how to talk about pain and fear and grief and mistakes and mistakes we've made in our history. But what's happening this year is really calling us to do that. And I think so many people are ready to do that. I think that the, you know, the way you're framing this podcast is a contribution to that. And what I also know is that we, that it's not an indulgence or an option that we also be kind to ourselves. I think that 2020 has revealed the civilizational work ahead we have to face as a country, and that is long work ahead. It's generational work, and then we also so we also have to find serious ways to keep ourselves rested and renewed for that long work ahead. I guess the other thing that I do in terms of my engagement with the world and its many crises is that I really am discerning about where I focus my emotion and my you know I I, I have to I have to focus how I'm engaged right so none of us call to to solve every problem. Right. And that's also a really important piece of wisdom. Um, For me, that's meant, yes, it's an election year. There's a lot at stake, but I don't have to be the person who is, uh, I'm going to vote. Absolutely. But I'm not, I'm not, you know, I don't have to read every in and out of every debate and every, everything that goes right and everything that goes wrong. Sure. I don't, I don't think anything is going to get solved on a Tuesday in November because that's when we have elections. As I said, the work before us is generational. So I, you know, I have really limited my news diet. I I don't mm-hmm. need to know what happened 20 minutes ago most of the time. And that's that's been important. And that's not easy. And the lure of checking and catching up and keeping up is, is strong. Oh, for um, sure. Right? So there are kinds of discipline that I've tried to practice to say where... Is my energy best devoted? What must I pay attention to? And right. then, and then, really, it's a you know continual process of, of of bringing myself back to that. Right. And you did mention being president and more aware during this predicament that that we're in right now. How do we go about doing that? You know, it's so interesting. This one of the interesting things about this crisis is that. In a way that has never happened before with any crisis, it's it's happened mm. everywhere. Yeah. Now, right? And so in some ways, the challenges of an Oklahoman really for the first time in history, you know, have some, they share something with the challenges of somebody halfway across the world. And then at the same time, having said that, there's such variation place to place of how this crisis has hit and what it means and what the consequences are and what the struggles are and what the fears and the pain are. So... I don't know. I 
you know, I, I have very much felt like an Oklahoman going through this year. And for me, so, you know, I want to say like everyone and every institution, I think every family, every, every community, there's, there are questions being raised and, and challenges being, that are becoming clearer that I think we have to be, that we're taking in at those levels of our of our, of our inner life, our, our family, our community, our institutions. Um, so, you know, all of these civilizational crises, like the question of what is essential and non-essential, you know, all of these things are playing out inside institutions, inside universities, right? Sure, yeah. To some extent, inside families, the, the political divides that we're facing, they're not, they're not about red states and blue states, like they're inside most of our families. Mm-hmm. They're playing themselves mm-hmm. out. So so there's a way in which I think being present to that, I don't think we have a choice, right? And, <laughs> and, and but like I think I think what I work with myself on and with other people on is who do we want to be as we reckon with those things in our um, in our institutions, in our families, in our communities. How do we stay grounded, not just in who we are and what we believe, but in opening possibilities for shared life rather than shutting them down. And there, there's no prescription out of that, it's, but it's a question that you can hold and work with in any given situation. I also think as an Oklahoman, though, I've done so much thinking just this year, but has made all this stuff rise to the top about what did I learn in school about our history, right? Yeah. How did we learn in school about the Trail of Tears, which we did, without grieving that, you know, somehow as a chapter in a story of progress without really taking in, you know, how that, the brutality of that was part of what made us American and Oklahoman. There's no undoing that. And I also think, you know, at this, you know, reckoning with this is not about being shameful and hanging our heads, but it, 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 it's just true in a human life. And it's true in a, in a family that if, if we're leaving chapters out, grieving our losses, and if we're not seeing our mistakes and deciding to learn from them, we just aren't as whole and mature and healthy as we want to be. So I've definitely been thinking about why did we not all stop at that and look up and say, oh my God, we did that? We force marched people? That's the history of this place? I think about growing up in Shawnee and Potawatomi County, surrounded by places called Tecumseh, and how I never thought, I, I don't even know that I really registered that those were the names of people and nations and cultures and tribes and that they were still alive, right? So so that's the kind of thing I've been just pondering. As I say, it's hard to take that in. It's painful and it's it's embarrassing and it's part of growing up. Absolutely. Yeah. So you've talked a lot about being honest about our history, but how in this pandemic and all of this racial upheaval that we are experiencing, do we as Oklahomans look back and reflect on these these tragedies, this history of Oklahoma? How do we be honest and how should those conversations start? Yeah, well, I, I think one thing that's important is, you know, as I said, to to think about this in the context of what kind of human beings do we want to be and what we know about how we grow as human beings, how we become more healthy, how we become the people we want to be in that spirit, rather than in, you know, treating these things as 
political decisions or anything that could be debated in a in a partisan way. Mm. You know, it shouldn't really be controversial to face ourselves, which which if we're just wanting to be people with integrity, that's something we do again and again across our lives. And if we want to be societies of integrity, we have to do the same thing. So I think somehow those of us who care about this and, you know, there are many ways that this has gotten blocked into. And I'm not I'm not pointing the finger at either side of the partisan divide when I when I say that that's part of the problem. Um, so I think those of us who just care about these are things we have to be thinking about, reflecting about. And that reflection will shape the life we create and the life we share and we want our children to walk into. Right. So that's why we do it. So those of us who care about that, how can we just start a different kind of discussion in that generative spirit? Take it out of those boxes and the fights, because then we can open up all kinds of possibility about where this can go and how we can walk together into it. And that's really what we have to do. Of course. Absolutely. And those tragedies that we kind of mentioned the Trail of Tears, the Dust Bowl, the Tulsa Race Massacre. How has those tragedies shaped the people of Oklahoma? You know, if, if I think of my, you know, I haven't lived in Oklahoma now for a number of years. As I say, I still feel very Oklahoma. My son just graduated from OU. And so he's one of the one of that class of 2020 that left for spring break and never, never came oh, back. Yeah. But, um, but, you know, this is still a big part of my identity. You know, This is just the way I see it. I feel like, and I've been having conversations for my show also just just recently, like just this week, about an organization called Facing History and Ourselves. And this is a a group that works with teachers and, and especially in societies that are coming out of sectarian violence and war. So like even, you know, places like Rwanda and South Africa and Northern Ireland and where, where, how I'm coming to feel is that um, the United States of America is more like places like South Africa than we've wanted to believe in terms of how we haven't, how we are so divided and we haven't faced our history fully. If we think of history just as the story of us, of who we are, how we became who we are, you know, is that who we want to be? And my sense of Oklahoma now, having lived in a few places in the States and a few places in the world, is that it was such a quintessential place in the American story, the American frontier. It was so much about leaving the past behind, making a clean slate with the past. It's very aspirational. It's also very gritty. You know, I mean, my grandfather came over in a wagon and, Mm. and often what people were leaving behind was terrible. Like the fact that this was land that was promised to the tribes and then taken back. Right. It's a, it's a history of promises broken and betrayed and then of people forced marched because other promises and places have been betrayed. And you know, my feeling about Oklahoma is that partly because it was so much a part of this larger American story of the time that there was this really willful forgetting. There, right? And it, and it was there was even a kind of dream, like the dream was about that, you know. And And so I think there's a, it's like we always had a partial view of ourselves and what really happened and actually what we needed to be accountable for in order to be whole. And somehow in this early 21st century, you know, you mentioned the Tulsa massacre. I had never learned about the Tulsa massacre, right? That's a whole thing Mm -hmm. that got, that was just omitted from history books. It wasn't seen because it didn't fit the narrative and And now, and this is good, it's hard and it's good, we are just being called to see the whole story 
and the whole story of how we became who we are. And that also shows us some work we have to do. Yeah. So you're talking about like our generation, this younger generation. What are you expecting as we're going forward, taking all of our history with us and now kind of experiencing what will become our history pretty soon as well with all of the racial heartache, this pandemic and that kind of thing? What are you expecting to see from our generation? Well, you know, what I want to say is how my generation has made a mess (laughs) for you and how what I know and what, I, what, I, what comes through in every conversation I have with all kinds of people is that what is ahead of us is a multi-generational project. Mm-hmm. And we need your generation's clear eyes, fresh eyes on what has been and what can be. We need your generation's energy and your hope muscle, which is fierce about what must be possible. That is the wisdom of youth. We often talk about the wisdom of old age, but there's also a wisdom of youth, and that that's it, and we need that. That is absolutely essential. But you as us, who have some experience under our belts, who have more of that wisdom of older age, which includes a patience, which includes an understanding that life is long and that some things can happen quickly and some things will take longer than or than it's than it's than it's okay to and you and that to still persevere. So what I'm aware of is we have to walk together. And so I want you to follow the beautiful and necessary instincts that you have about what hasn't been good enough. Also really want you to reach out to people of other generations, to elders. And, you know, I'm 59, but I th- I'm an elder. Like, I think, I think elderdom is coming younger now, too, because <laughs> um, there's, a, there's a real difference in our generations. And it's a, it's, I think it's a beautiful thing, right, that we really are at, a, at an inflection point. And, and there are ways in which I can't, even at 59, you know, even a 50-year-old can't see what you can see as possible. So, but I want you to reach out for cross-generational friendship an accompaniment. And I think another, I think something your generation is learning that my generation didn't know. We had this American thing, which is also part of the answer to your question about Oklahoma. <laughs> we had this American thing of the rugged individual and you pull yourself up by your bootstraps, yeah. right? And yeah. It's you against the world. That was a lie. I was just interviewed this afternoon, an evolutionary biologist. Survival of the fittest is not the story of evolution, even. It's not even hmm. what scientists see. And um, our story, the human story of, su- of success and progress, is a story of cooperation and collaboration and ecosystem. I want you to take that in and get yourself surrounded. So, yes, with elders, but also just with other people who share your passion. Because, again, this is a generational project. This is the work of our lifetime. And it is not going to be possible to be fierce and hopeful every day that's ahead. It's not going to be possible for you to bear that heartbreak that you talked about every day. You're going to have months and years where you can't carry that. And that's not what you're called to, but we're in this together. So others can carry heartbreak and hope for you on the days that it's not possible for you. And that is a real cultural shift. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, Krista, anything else that you would like to share with our listeners or anything we didn't ask that we should have? No, I I just, I love that you're doing this. I love the spirit in which you're doing it. It, it means a lot to me as an Oklahoman. Because as I say, like, I've been thinking so much and it's so important to me to hear you 
really having a different experience and creating a different experience for the future of Oklahoma. And I'm just really grateful. And I'd love for you to point people to our to our website, to onbeing.org, because one of the things we're trying to do is create that space for the nourishment for the long, the long work ahead. So I, for like sure. being, yes, I, I love being comrades with you out there. Yes. yes, absolutely. All right. Well, thank you so much. We've sincerely enjoyed talking with you. Yeah, we really appreciate you taking the time. Blessings to you. Blessings you to you. You as well. Have a great rest of your day. Okay, you too. Bye-bye. All right, bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Survive and Thrive. In the next episode, we will talk with Joy Hoffmeister, the Oklahoma Superintendent of Public Instruction, on the state's education system and how it directly affects racial tensions in the state today. You can find us anywhere you listen to your podcasts by searching Survive in OKLA. We are your hosts, Carolee and Brooklyn. Join us every Wednesday for new episodes. Also participating in this podcast project are Kimberly Burke, our manager, Jesse Smith, researcher and writer, Ji Swan Fan, and Robert Loiza, the social media coordinators, and Miranda Von Dale, our audio engineer. This podcast is presented by Gaylord News in collaboration with the Institute for the Study of Human Flourishing. Mm-hmm.